everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. All right, Joe, we had the NFL schedule release recently, and a really big uh, story. Uh, Saints have pretty a uh, pretty interesting schedule, but I feel like definitely there were some missed opportunities as to when to put it. Tell us a little bit about what uh, your biggest problem is with the Saints' schedule. Again, I have a huge problem with the Saints and Buccaneers opening the season on Sunday, uh, September 13th, I believe it is. Um, I understand somewhat um, a rationale um, for putting that game on the first week of the season because both Drew Brees and Tom Brady are over 40 years old. And so at any point, you know, the uh, life of a quarterback in the NFL is very fragile, but even more so if you're over 40. So I understand that the league wants to hype up this match and that they're afraid that if they put it later in the season, one of the quarterbacks could be injured, and they never get to play this game. So I get all that. But at the same time, come on. In the midst of the pandemic, the offseason is going to be truncated. It's going to be limited. The Buccaneers, with the new system, uh, new quarterback, uh, working with wide receivers he's never played with before, Gronkowski coming to town, the offense in Tampa Bay is still going to be in its infancy week one. We're not going to get the matchup that we could get if you play this game in October. It's going to be somewhat sloppy. And then finally, one of the biggest issues is that with the pandemic, are fans even going to be able to go to this game people? You have a Hall of Fame clash between two of the all-time great quarterbacks, but will anybody even be in the Super Bowl? So I kind of look at this as another shot against Saints fans by Roger Goodell depriving them of a sellout uh, monster uh, clash against the Buccaneers. Yeah, I agree. And then especially putting it as the 4 o'clock game on Sunday, uh, we're not getting prime airtime of either the Sunday night game or the Monday night game. Even better. And really the 4 o'clock window is one of the least paid attention to windows, I feel like. So I'm kind of mad a little bit about when they're putting it, too, in terms of uh, which the viewing timeline is. Yeah, so I mean, I, I kind of think that on the optimistic side, that it helps the Saints playing this game week one um, because the Buccaneers probably won't be as prepared. They, they won't have the same level of chemistry that they'll have later on in the season when the teams play each other in Tampa. But at the same time, just, you know, objectively, I think that this matchup should be on Obviously, this is just the first game of the season. I did want to get your thoughts, Dan, on the rest of the schedule for the Saints. You know, looking at it, the next week they have an interesting game at Las Vegas against the Raiders on Monday Night Football, a game that will open up um, the uh, home debut, debut for the Raiders' new stadium in Las Vegas. Uh, some other, you know, just fascinating matchups throughout the season um, against um, – the Chiefs at home uh, in the Superdome host the 49ers as well. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting matchups. So what do you, how do you appraise the difficulty of the schedule? Well, Joe, I think it's a pretty hard schedule, especially when you look at the road trips they have. Uh, they've got to go to Chicago to take on the Bears at Soldier's Field, which is always a, uh, always a tough place to play, especially because it's going to be cold. 
because it's going to be in November. And with that defense, the Bears have always an issue in terms of putting up points. Um, you know, I'm looking at a road schedule to Denver. That's, of course, a team that, you know, has such a great defensive line and one that really upgraded their offensive talent. So I'd be interested to see what happens in that one. And then they've got a road trip against the Eagles as well. And then the best one, of course, is December 20th. we got the Chiefs coming to the Superdome. So I'm really excited about that one. But yet again, Joe, that's the 4 o'clock game on a Sunday. How is that not a Monday night game? With Patrick Mahomes taking that's on the Super That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And I was telling you before the show, this is the Chiefs, the reigning Super Bowl champions, only had one Monday night game on ESPN. So I feel like that that kind of represents that changing of the guard even more. It's Sunday night football's getting most of the better matchups compared to ESPN. And then specifically with the Chiefs-Saints game, what I don't like about that, Dan, as a Saints fan, is that that's going to be a very difficult game. I'm actually going to pick the Saints to lose to the Chiefs at home. But yeah, then they have to turn sure. around a short week and play the Vikings on Christmas Day. I mean, that is a huge disadvantage. Um, I don't like the fact that the NFL is scheduling a Christmas night game. I think that Christmas Day is for the NBA, and I don't really understand that from a ratings perspective. Um, and I think that you know, the Vikings, who have been the Saints' Achilles heel, that's a trap game. Oh, that's definitely a trap game, Joe. I mean, they, we cannot beat the Vikings, especially when it comes to playoff time, and we're talking literally right before the playoffs. That's a scary game right there. It could be one that decides where we uh, where we go in the playoffs and our seating. So that's kind of a dangerous one right there. And then you look at that um, tough road stretch that you alluded to with Denver and the Eagles. That's going to be – let's go back a couple of weeks – you start out with with playing at Tampa Bay um, on Sunday Night Football. Then you had a home game against the 49ers. And you and I both know how difficult those games are, are, always are. And then you have a trap game at home against the Falcons, which reminds me a lot of last year's game when they lost to the Falcons at home. That's a trap game. Then you go on the road to Denver, a place that Brees and the Saints have never won at. Then you're at Atlanta, another tricky game. Then you're at the Eagles, and then you return home to host the Super Bowl champion Chiefs. So this is a stretch that is going to define the Saints' season, and it's going to be tough to win every single game in that stretch. There's really not a cup game. No, I mean that. Look at all those road games at the end of the year. You got trips to Atlanta, Denver, and Philadelphia, and then Charlotte to end the season. So, yeah, I mean, really it's very backloaded schedule. I mean, you do have some tough ones, obviously. We talked about taking on the Bucs the first week of the season and then Green Bay at home. But I think the end of the season is gonna really going to be with the size of what the Saints are at, those last five or six games. Um, definitely no favors on scheduling, and I'm really upset about this Christmas night game, Christmas afternoon game against the Vikings. That just seems like wet down written all over it. Absolutely. As far as, you know, kind of a, a prognostication of the season, I'm going to say that I'm leaning towards the Saints going 11-5 and five this year, and they'll kind of be lucky to do that. Um, I've seen a lot of experts predict that they go 12-4, and four, but I just look at that stretch, Dan, of all the road games and the back-loaded 
the schedule, and it just seems very plausible that they're going to drop some of these games. I have them losing at Tampa Bay. I have them losing um, at Denver, at Atlanta, and also against the Chiefs. Um, and possibly, I mean, like I said, I think they'll be lucky to go 11-5. Uh, Joe, looking at their schedule, I would think they'll probably lose to Green Bay. Uh, I think probably the second game at Tampa Bay, they'll, they'll draw. The Eagles game makes me nervous. Uh, rowdy fans, cold weather. I think they'll lose that one. They'll lose the Chiefs. And I like them losing to the Vikings, too. So, and then I think maybe they'll even drop the one to Denver. I think ten and six is more more likely this season. I just don't think the defense is going to be quite as good as they were last year. And I don't like that we didn't really add a whole lot of playmakers in the offseason to help help us out. Yeah, I mean they don't have as much depth as wide receiver as most people think. Um, so that that will be interesting to see how that plays out. I will say that. You know, similar to the lockout for the season in 2011, I did feel like the passing game that year performed well because of the continuity between those players and Breeze. And when you don't have training camp, maybe that's an advantage the Saints can work, you know, to help them out. But the schedule to me is just so difficult. I can't imagine them doing better than 11-5. And then furthermore, I would say that what is the motivation of this team going to look like? I mean, this is the closest thing we've seen to a team suffering the fate of the uh, Buffalo Bills of the early 1990s. I mean, three straight seasons of 11-5, and 13-3, 13-3, no Super Bowl appearances. They've won the most games in a three-year span of any team that has not been to a Super Bowl in NFL history. So how have they you know, come back from that? Well, and how do you come back from three times in the playoffs having the worst possible way you could lose each time? I mean, it almost gets worse each time they, they have a game. And, I mean, how, how do you recover from that emotionally? So that's what I'm going to be with. How tough is this team to be able to go out and have another great season again? And what do they do in the postseason when those demons come out again? Because... Three years in a row, you're right. It's it's starting to become a little bit like the Buffalo Bills with their four Super Bowl losses in a row. Yeah, and even if they're able to navigate through the schedule and surprise us, you know, and maybe win 12 or 13 games, if they don't get that first round by, they're going to be utterly exhausted in the first game of the playoffs, especially this year, Dan, where you don't have the two uh, first round buys. Only the number one seed gets the first round by. Yeah, and, and they're going to have to go the next week after having a road trip to, to Charlotte to, to play a play a playoff game if they don't if they don't get that buy. So that's a big deal. Uh, I would say getting the first round by is highly unlikely with this schedule because this is this is brutal. I mean, you're looking at uh, Kansas City won the Super Bowl, 49ers played in the Super Bowl, uh, Green Bay Packers had a had a you know. Uh, the Green Bay Packers had one of the buys last year, so that's three of the top four teams. The Vikings that we lost to in the playoffs, that's four. The Eagles, that's another playoff team, five. I mean, and then you have, of course, the, the newly added uh, Tampa Bay Bucks with all of their talent. So we're talking about five playoff teams that are already on your schedule, plus 
more talented teams and then road trips to talented teams in Chicago and Denver. This is a really, this is a gauntlet right here. It is. Well, like you said, the road games to me, like even the winnable road games, like you would think that they're a better team, obviously, than the Las Vegas Raiders. But you have to go on the road in a raucous venue, assuming fans are present, in a new stadium. I mean, that's a tough game to win. Yeah. Detroit. I mean, they, they've lost games in the past at Detroit in the Breeze Payton era. I mean, that's not a gimme. And then at Chicago with that defense, yeah, I mean, this is a gauntlet of the schedule. Yeah, I mean, then right after you've gone and taken on the Broncos at Mile High Stadium, you've got to go and take on the Falcons in a road game. We're talking three weeks in a row where they're playing road games against good teams. You got Atlanta, then you got Denver. Then you got the Eagles. So that is a that is a really bad schedule right there. Yes. And so I, I will be very high concerned about that Eagles game too. Yeah, you got um, you know, the Falcons two out of three weeks. I, I don't really like that, you know, from a division standpoint. I, I kinda like those games spaced out. I think they're too important to make division foes play each other that close together. But I will say ultimately, Dan, you know, for all my criticisms about this schedule, if we have a season, you know, this year in football or any sport, I won't have as much room to complain just because I feel like I'll finally appreciate things in life that I've largely taken for granted. Yeah, that's true. I mean, just getting to watch, watch football at all would be great. I mean, it'll, of course, be upsetting if we have a season where the Saints don't make the playoffs or or get ousted in the first round again because they have a low seating. But, hey, at least it'll be football. And uh, like I said, with this schedule, I think 10-6, and 11-5 is definitely the more likely versus a 13-3, 12-4-time season. Right. Uh, Joe, moving on, uh, big story out right now. Uh, of course, the NCAA is finally agreeing to start allow players to start benefiting off their use and likeness. Uh, apparently, it's supposed to start sometime before 2021. They haven't exa- exactly ironed out all the kinks yet. Uh, what do you think about this, and do you support it? I'm fine with it. I think that it's a good idea, but I would say my, my two issues are, number one, um, I'll still believe it when I see it. I think yeah. there are still a lot of legal hurdles to overcome in order for this to be put into place in 2021. Um, and I was looking at an article by Jay Billis, who you know, is obviously a great college basketball analyst and very highly respected because not only is he qualified to talk about basketball, but you know he's an attorney and he has a very good knowledge of uh, you know legal legalese and you know how these things work behind the scenes. And he thinks that you have to pay attention to the fact that. The NCAA has always been reactionary and never uh, proactive mm-hmm. when it comes to uh, benefits for the players. That it, only, it took a lot of pressure over a period of many years for them to finally cave and look at this, uh, most notably the pressure coming from California with uh, some of the legislation they were implementing and talking about in recent years. And so we'll have to see what happens with some of these legal hurdles. And then also, I would just say, you know, what took so long? I mean, why are they just doing this now? So the timing of it is also questionable to me. 
Yeah, and I mean, this stuff, we've been talking about this now for 10 years about how they need to do this. And you think of all the schools who've had national championships taken away from them, uh, people put on probation over just this, over the kids wanting to do this. And you just feel like it's too little, too late. And you're right. I mean, I need to see it in action. I need to see uh, Bo Nix, you know, doing a commercial for a car company in, in Auburn making some money before I see that this is actually going to happen. You feel like they're going to find some kind of hoop in order to make it to where they're still not going to get paid anything. Absolutely. You know, kind of a, a side point I would make about the NCAA rhetoric that has always bothered me, and it kind of reminds me of this issue too, you always hear about amateurism with the NCAA. And, you know, they talk about maybe offering uh, the ability to profit from third parties with endorsements and, you know, profit on your likeness. But this idea of amateurism to me is completely contradictory. You may hear that rhetoric, but their actions are completely contradictory to amateurism when you look at the full scale of the NCAA. I mean, I respect amateurism as much as the next person. I think that sports that are played, you know, oftentimes at the high school level or recreational level are just as fun as anything because you see the purity of the game. You see people playing because they love the game. But when you have college sports that are played in massive stadiums with television contracts and overpaid coaches, how can you call that amateurism and everybody gets sliced the money except for the players? No, I mean, when you have coaches making, like Nick Saban, $11 million a year, Dabo making 12, Gus Malzahn making 7 plus, and these players are getting nothing when they're the ones that are, you know, getting it done. They're the ones going out there every day, and they still have to balance a school schedule with that. How do you call that amateurism? And then when a lot of the times, because they have to work out 40 hours a week, their school suffers – how can you possibly say that what they're doing is not something that's worth getting paid? I mean, they're making their university and their city billions of dollars. Yeah, definitely. I mean, now, you know, Mark Emmert and uh, the coaches and everybody involved in the sports, if they want to start doing this as volunteers, then, you know, I'll start listening to, listening to them better. But at the point that they're earning a lot of money and using this as their livelihood, and that, that's where I draw the line. Yeah, if Lane Kiffin takes a professor's salary at Ole Miss in order to be the football coach, then okay, then maybe DK Metcalf shouldn't profit off his likeness. Sure. But that, that's not going to happen. He's going to make four-plus million dollars every year. Um, what I'm interested to see is I'm hearing they're putting all these restrictions in that you can't have, uh, you know, Tua couldn't go and do a, a commercial for, um, you know, a jersey company and wear an Alabama jersey. He could wear, he could be something, he could be too attacking below in the commercial, but he couldn't have anything Alabama on because that's somehow promoting the university. So I don't understand how you're going to get around this. You can have the guy rep represent himself, but he can't do anything for the university in order to make it to where it's unfair and more people are going to want to go to Alabama or go to LSU, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's just ridiculous. That's just going to turn it you know, into a slippery slope that there's going to be exceptions or it's going to lead to some denial like later on down the road, for an excuse for them to cut it off, you know, kind of look at this kind of experimental, and they're, then they're like, oh, we kind of got out of hand, so we just got to stop it for everybody. Right, yeah, exactly. Uh, Mac Jones was wearing things that looked close to Alabama, therefore we can't do this anymore. 
It's now, it's now unfair. Alabama suddenly has an unfair recruiting advantage. They never had one before, but now they have. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, I, I just I, I don't really see how you can do it in the current format they're suggesting. I mean, you just need to have the people be able to profit off their likeness because the bottom line is the reason the Tua could go out and get that big car commercial is because he knows play Alabama. This is just kind of being a little hypocritical right here. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing, you know, if a student were to go into music, you know, get a record deal, become, you know, famous in that regard, there wouldn't be an issue at all. So I don't, I've never understood why it's an issue in sports. No, I've never understood that either. I mean, you know, you think about the, the Fab Four of Michigan is such a great example. Like, those guys brought, you know, untold millions of dollars to, to Michigan and focus on basketball, and they couldn't even afford to eat while they were in school. And you tell me that, you know, Juwan Howard couldn't have gone and sold his jersey. Why can't he do that? He's the reason that jersey is worth something. Right, for sure. You know, Chris Weber can't have an agent. Well, why not? Chris Weber's about to make a whole lot of money and play for 20 years in the NBA as soon as he gets out of this. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, especially now with, you know, with college basketball, with one and done era, you know, these guys are barely even the blink of an eye and they're off the campus anyway. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, yeah. You know, Ben Simmons, like, why couldn't Ben Simmons wear something LSU? Because out of all the different schools he could have gone to in America, he went and played at LSU, and you know that he's playing in the NBA. He's a dude that was, when he was in high school, was projected to be a top 10 draft pick. So it doesn't make any sense that, you know, you can't advertise for a casino in Baton Rouge that wears LSU jersey that he's going to try and sell afterwards. I mean, LSU got him, you know. So I guess you still shouldn't be able to like pay them to recruit them, but if they're profiting off their likeness, they should be able to do it in coordination with the university. Well, last question I have about it real quick, man, before we get into the locker room talk. What is the rule right now on coaches? Like, could Nick Saban do a commercial with an Alabama logo on? That's a good question. Uh, I think you can. Because I'll tell you that they have commercials right now uh, in Alabama for both Nick Saban and Gus Malzahn where there are Ford F-150 commercials, and Nick Saban's given, like, a red F-150 that he drives around, and Gus Malzahn's given a blue F-150 that he drives around, and they have the commercials with them riding around in it, and I don't know whether it actually has Alabama or Auburn on it, but it's a red truck and a blue truck. I mean, it's... <laughs> so, yeah, I think, they, I think they pretty much can do it. Interesting. And whenever they have their coaches shows, their coaches shows are always sponsored by something. I mean, if you want to go old school, Bear Bryant's uh, coaches show was sponsored by Golden Flake, and he got paid by them to do it. So, yes, they can they can profit off their likeness. Gotcha. Um, switching over to the locker room talk, Joe. Uh, one of the craziest stories I've ever seen is this Earl Thomas story, and I'm basically doing a whole locker room talk on just that. I thought it was that funny. Um, but before I get into it, I'm also going to add something, something else in my locker room talk, which, um, there's a place in downtown Mobile called Soul Kitchen where they have a lot of good bands, uh, you know, year in, year out. I mean, I've seen this band here, Band of Horses, I'm, I'm wearing the shirt for, uh, Spoon, all kinds of other big time bands. Uh, unfortunately, due to the coronavirus, I think they basically said they're not going to allow concerts till fall of 2021, maybe. So they've put up a, a great lineup of different bands they're going to have 
that are uh, coronavirus inspired. Therefore, there aren't any actual concerts, but these are just joke names of bands that you may have heard. And, and uh, some of these I took off of them, other ones I just created because I thought, I thought they were funny. Of course, our locker room talk is always sponsored, sponsored by uh, Beach Ball Properties. Uh, we stayed in the Beach Ball condo a couple weeks ago. It's fantastic. Uh, really nice. And there's all the different options for you from different budgetary standpoints. So if you want to look for something nice or just like a regular little condo, get Hunter and Ginger called Beach Ball Properties. Also, a uh, shout out to Jensen Computer Technologies. Call Ryan or Daryl Jensen for all of your computer needs. All right, Joe, the, the first uh, coronavirus-inspired name for a band I have is uh, Panic at the Costco. So, Panic at the Disco? Yep, for Panic at the Disco. <laughs> What's the next yeah. one I have? Next one we have is, um, is it uh, COVID in Cambria? It's COVID in Cambria for uh, Coheed and yeah. Cambria, which is a good uh, upbeat band. Uh, I was listening to them the other day. Uh, I think they've actually have played at the Soul Kitchen before that Cody and Cambria has, so that, that kind of makes sense. Uh, Joe, the next one I have is for, uh, you know, the, the Wu-Tang Clan. Of course, old school rap group, the Wu-Tang Clan. Got their little Chinese influence, and now there's the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> uh, next one we have is the Perel Jam. Yeah, like Perel and hand sanitizer definitely you know, is taking on a different meaning. Yep, yeah, so Pearl Jam, can't go see them right now, but you stay at home and watch Pearl Jam now. <laughs> and then, uh, Joe, I've heard there's this great movie that's coming out right now, too. Uh, of course, you know, in law school, one of the biggest movies we ever had was Paper Chase, about the law school experience, and making one about the coronavirus experience, it's going to be called Toilet Paper Chase. <laughs> All right, now switching over to the Earl Thomas story, Joe. Uh... I thought Mark Ingram had, had the best tweet about it, which was, we got questions. Uh, Earl Thomas, uh, basically to give a, a summation of the story, he and his brother Seth had rented out a uh, an Airbnb basically to bring in women and uh, have affairs in their wives with them. And these are actual brothers and uh Let's say they were doing stuff with these girls in the same bed with each other while they were brothers. Uh, and then, uh, I guess uh, Earl Thomas's wife had a GPS tracker on his phone or something, was able to figure out where he was, busted up in the Airbnb, saw what was happening. I guess they didn't even stop what they were doing in bed before she came in. Uh, and then um, she chased him around with a gun that was loaded. And uh, he didn't get killed or anything. I think she ended up getting arrested, and these girls had to be witnesses. I'm sure they really want to testify at trial about what was going on there. Uh, and, you know, the, the biggest thing about the story that's, like, interesting to me is I really want to see which judge is, 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 is taking on this case. Because I feel like if there's a judge and Earl Thomas testifies against his wife on this... If it's a female judge, she'll be like, well, why didn't you just kill him? <laughs> I feel like she's like, I'm going to send it to you because you didn't murder him. Yeah, I mean, you know, the first I would say is a caveat. I, I was talking to you about this last week on the phone. I could not believe this, it, this story was not, you know, front page, headline news all over the internet. 
best stories in sports right now. And I felt like this would kind of take over, you know, the um, the airwaves. I guess the only reason is because, you know, it's not obviously a family-friendly story. Uh, that's the only other thing. It has to be that. But at the end of the day, I mean, the legal ramifications that are going to come from this are going to be a fascinating case study for first-year criminal law students. And then, as a side note, the um, future of Earl Thomas' NFL career, kind of interested to see how that's going to go. Yeah, I mean, uh, how are people going to take him seriously anymore? At, you know, like, what's going to what's going to happen with his marriage? And how do you think that, you know, you could say that he's really focused on football when these are his, his off-season uh, charades? And, and more importantly, Joe, uh, I'm really nervous for Airbnb uses in the future. Are you ever going to want to rent to someone again, especially if you see their last name is Thomas? Because obviously he's got his brother Seth that he does this with. Who knows what other Thomases there could be that are renting from him? Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And you talk about you know the distractions for him the rest of his career. I mean, how do you overcome being that close to death like that? I know that he's a football player, but still having someone hold a gun to you like that in that moment, but that's going to be going to be something that's very difficult to ever recover from. Yeah, and it's gonna be it's gonna be hard for him to recover from football too. Cause people are gonna be making fun of him all next year about this, and it's gonna be interesting to see if he can hold it together out of the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the the best thing is he tries to say like you know this is a private thing, don't have any questions. And Mark Ingram's tweet, I'll end the show with this, was uh, basically you were called in the bed with your brother and other naked women. We got questions, <laughs> and so yes, that's where it is. His teammates are gonna have a lot of questions. Yeah. All right, thanks for the show.